thank you for being with us this evening. In this very holy place of Sri Navadweep Dham, during the most sacred of all months, Karatik, we have come together on a pilgrimage. Throughout the ages, in every great religious tradition, there is the emphasis on taking time away from our otherwise very consumed lifestyles to go to a holy place with holy and like-minded people for the purpose of exclusively absorbing ourselves in that which is favorable to our spiritual quest. A holy place is a place where the Supreme Lord has performed his pastimes on this earth. Paritranaya sadhunam vinashaya chuduskritam dharmasam stapanaradaya sambhavami juke juke. Krishna tells in Gita that he descends into this world again and again to reestablish the true principles of religion. To annihilate ignorance and to give pleasure to those who love him. And to attract the hearts of all fortunate beings who are willing to gratefully receive his grace. Place of pilgrimage may also be where holy people over the ages have performed their devotion. Sri Mayapur Dham is considered in this age of Kali the greatest of places of pilgrimage. Vrindavan is the place where once in a day of Brahma, Krishna performs his most intimate loving pastimes with his devotees. It is Madhurya Dham, the abode of sweetness, where the levels of ecstatic love of God are in its most intimate state. Navadweep is non different than Vrindavan, with one inclusion. It is Odaryadam. It makes the sweetness of Vrindavan accessible to everyone, to anyone 
who opens their hearts to receive it. We were speaking last night how for this treasure of praying, divine love for the Supreme Personality of Godhead to awaken in our heart in order to overcome the ahankar, the ego, and free ourselves from the shackles of endless selfish desires and fears. It's only possible through grace. Because there are powers beyond our intelligence, beyond our physical strength, beyond our willpower that we are up against within this cosmic manifestation. Daivi yeshu guna mai mama maya duratya ya mame vamye prapadyate maya metadarantite. Krishna certifies in the Gita that this material creation consisting of three modes, these gunas are like ropes that keep us bound. And they are so subtle, so expert in every way. They deal with us from the grossest level of physical sensual temptations to the subtlest level of the ego. Tamaguna, the mode of ignorance, which drives us to anger, violence, cruelty, desperation, where we take shelter of intoxications, laziness, then there is Rajaguna, the mode of passion, wherein we are pulled by these ropes with endless desires, desire for sensual experiences, to taste something, to touch something, to see something, hear something, have sex with something. And on a subtle platform, that passion for profit, greed, money, wealth, property, fame, distinction, pratishta. This is the mode of passion. And then there is sattva-guna, the mode of goodness. The mode of goodness is a platform by which we can transcend the modes of nature, but in and of itself, it's still under the powers of material energy. The mode of goodness is on an emotional and physical platform to feel compassion for people, to act honestly, truthfully, humbly, to be forgiving, to be philanthropic, to help those who are in need, to work unselfishly, 
not with greed, but in a spirit of generosity. But even the mode of goodness binds us to this material world. Unless from that platform of mode of goodness, we have a transcendental purpose in our life where we have the understanding that whether you're in the mode of ignorance, passion, or goodness, tamaguna, rajaguna, or sattvaguna, still, whether you're pious or impious, certainly a pious life brings about pious results, where there's worldly happiness, peace, comforts, but still, we have to grow old. We have to get diseased. We have to die. Padam padam yadvi padam natesham. And in this world, no matter what modes you're operating under, still there is danger at every step. But the Atma, the eternal soul, is Satchidananda, eternal, full of knowledge, full of bliss. That living force within us is our true self. It is untouched by any of the anxieties and sufferings or even the temporary fleeting joys of material existence. But in a dream state, when that atma is identifying with this, through this ego, ahankar, with the body and the designations of the body, being a human or an animal or a lizard or a bird or an insect or a fish or a tree, or if you happen to be a rare human species, you may be thinking I'm black or white or red or yellow, or I'm male or female, or I'm Indian or American or Russian, or African. These are all designations. Krishna comes to this world to take us to live by the moral principles of the mode of goodness for the exclusive purpose of transcending the modes of nature. And there are various processes of trying to transcend the modes of nature. But to awaken this prame, this most essential potential within us, Prema Pumarta Mahan, the ultimate goal of to awaken that love for Krishna that is within our hearts and to naturally extend that love to every living being, seeing the relationship that is only possible by grace. And grace cannot be attained. We can memorize thousands 
of entire books of scriptures. We can eat one grain of rice a day. We could sleep five minutes a day. We can build enormous temples. We can feed 10 million people. We can chant a billion names of God. We could lead a kirtan that mesmerizes everybody into tears. But that doesn't necessarily attain grace. Srila Prabhupada explains that pure devotional service is very rare. Why? Because pure bhakti is so powerful, prema, that Krishna by his own sweet will, the absolute truth, the cause of all causes, the creator, maintainer, and annihilator, everything that exists, agrees to be subordinate. Krishna surrenders to the love of a devotee's heart. We cannot attain it. It's beyond the scope of our abilities, our intellect. But when we are sincere, when we are serious, humble, and we are eager to serve the Supreme Lord and all living beings through him, with no ulterior motive, then Krishna is eager. Srimati Radharani, the feminine potency, the source of all grace, is eager to deliver us. That is why we come on pilgrimage to focus on what is really important in life. The nature of how maya works is things that are not important, we are deceived to giving them such mass proportion of importance. And the most important things we don't have time for because we're just too consumed by all the other things. It's very difficult to balance spirituality while living in the material world. Very difficult for grihastas, householders, who might have jobs and children a husband has to take care of a whole family. And the wife has to deal with husbands. As a Swami, I get around. 
And what I see is it's really difficult dealing with husbands. This male ego is something so atrocious sometimes. And it comes out in so many ways. Anyways. <laughs> I've never been a husband in this life, so... <laughs> So many responsibilities. And then somebody's thinking, let me become a brahmachari. Simple life. That's what you think, simple life. <laughs> you join the ashram with that idea. But after some time, you think, so, so many things in the mind, so many things to deal with. And even when you're dealing with spiritual matters, you know, how much we can neglect the real consciousness that makes it spiritual. To really put our heart into purely chanting the holy name. Not just memorizing verses, but realizing and living by these verses. Distractions are everywhere. So we come to pilgrimage places because we need grace. You see, you can't digest food if you have no hunger. This is the principle of Ayurveda. Every time I go to Ayurvedic doctors, and I'm sent to them all the time, so many different ones, they always ask, how is your appetite? Because this is a basis. Digestion is a key to good health. And you can't digest unless you're hungry. So similarly, grace is everywhere. Grace is all-pervading. Just like the sunlight is all-pervading. But we become so habituated to live in dark places. In order to digest and assimilate that grace, we have to be hungry for it. We are beggars for grace. We understand the need for grace. Bhakti is not just about working and offering the fruits of our labor to, some, to God or to someone else. Bhakti, that, that's a very fundamental state. Bhakti is about crying out for grace. Maya is very strong. And Krishna is all-powerful. And what is the greatest power of Krishna? His beauty, his sweetness, his love. We are crying for that. We are trying to absorb ourselves in being attracted by the all-attractive. It's natural. So when we're here in a holy place of pilgrimage, for many of you, it's a rare thing, maybe once or twice a year. 
every moment should be utilized to be absorbed. That is tapasya. Inconveniences will come. If we're coming here to enjoy, we'll probably suffer. It's a lot of mosquitoes and so many other things, big crowds. If we're coming to serve, we will taste transcendental happiness. Inconveniences are great blessings if they help us to take shelter of that grace. And that is the subject of the festival we are celebrating today. One of the most popular festivals in all of Brindavan and in the temples and homes of devotees all over the world. Today is Govardhan Puja. Besides an incredible story, the lessons of this story are so critical for all of us. With your permission, on this holy day, in this holy place, may I try to narrate the story for you? I was hoping you would say that. Thank you. It is a story of how the worst possible situation can be the most beautiful opportunity to be with God. It is a story about how the Lord's grace comes upon a devotee, not just the way we want it to be, but the way that transforms us. Indra, according to the Vedas, is the ruler of the heavens. He's especially the universal department head of rain. Without rain, there can be no life. Can you imagine having that responsibility? That means, literally, everyone in this planet is totally dependent on Indra for life. What if there's no rain? Drought. No food. Nothing to drink. Our bodies, the vast majority of all physical bodies of living beings, is made of water. So, according to traditional cultures, rather than just taking, 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 
and not feeling any gratitude or obligation, culture is about gratitude, honoring and respecting those who help us. Honoring and respecting ultimately every living being because they're all part of God. That is culture. And reciprocating with those who help. So in Vrindavan, it was a tradition for many, many generations that once a year there would be a beautiful puja for Indra. Because he's giving rain. So they make so much wonderful food for him. And they have pujas. They do their mudras. They do their yantras and their tantras and their mantras and everything like that. So Nanda Maharaj, following this tradition, had arranged a very, very grand Indra puja. You see, there's one God, the source of everything that exists. But that one God, the absolute truth, the personality of Godhead, Brahmiti Paramatmiti Bhagavaniti Sabjate, that one absolute truth in his transcendental identity expands as the all pervading impersonal Brahman as the Paramatma seated in each and every heart and as the Supreme Personality of Godhead Bhagavan, the all-loving personality who forever reciprocates intimacy of love with his devotees. And Sri Radha, her devotees. In the case of material creation, just like a prime minister has so many ministers who are heads of departments. So there are department heads of the universe. And it is proper to offer our gratitude and respects for what they give us. Indra gives rain. But Krishna's the source of Indra. That one supreme God is the source of all the devas. And the Srimad Bhagavatam tells, if you put water in the root of the tree, automatically that water extends to every part of the tree. Similarly, when we please Krishna by our devotion, then automatically all the avatars, all the manifestations, all the demigods, the devas, they are all fully satisfied because he is the root. Aham sarvasya prabhavo matasarvam pravartate. The sarva karana karanam, the cause of all causes. So Krishna is that absolute truth, but in Vrindavan, to facilitate the sweetest loving pastimes, he appeared as a small child, where his parents are thinking, if I don't protect him, he'll get hurt. There's monkeys that might bite him. 
there's bulls that might step on him. There's birds that might scratch him. There's mosquitoes that might hurt him. There's thorns in the ground, and there's stones that may give inconvenience to his soft feet. And they're always trying to protect him, and always trying to feed him. And Krishna, just like a little boy, increases that ecstasy of the love of his parents. Like the time he ate dirt. And the cowherd boys, Balaram, Subal, Stoka, Krishna, Sudama, they all come and tell Yashodamai, Krishna ate dirt. He's only a small child. Just a, just a little more than a baby. Yashodamai said, why have you eaten dirt? Don't you know how sick you'll get by eating dirt? Krishna said, I didn't eat dirt. then why are your friends saying you ate dirt? said, they are lying. Balaram is always on your side. Why would he lie? Because we played and I won the game. <laughs> you showed him my turns to Balaram and the cowherd boys. He said, no, no, we saw him in a secluded pace. He was eating dirt. Mother Yashoda is not seeing him as God. We know about the universal form, the Virat Rupa. The Virat Rupa is a mere expansion of an expansion of expansion of Krishna. And the Virat Rupa is eating the whole universe. Yes? But for Yashoda, he's my little child, helpless without me. Let me look in your mouth to see if you ate dirt. So Krishna said, yes, I will open my mouth. And he opened his mouth. But the reality is, he did eat dirt. And Yashoda Mai was going to see that dirt. Now Krishna could have erased it. He could have made it disappear. But that would not attract our hearts 5,000 years later. He has a chintya shakti, inconceivable potencies. Sometimes we try to rationally adjust the absolute truth according to our conventional ideas of what's possible. But everywhere in nature we're seeing the impossible happening. From a little seed is coming a banyan tree. Could anyone put a banyan tree or a redwood tree inside a seed? In fact, everyone that's here at one time, not long ago, a little longer for people like me, we were seeds. Yes? The father, he doesn't know what's going on. The seed just goes and goes into the mother. They have no engineering plan. And all of a sudden that seed miraculously 
starts developing limbs and organs and senses. And this little soul, this little atma, has the power to create more seeds like that and more children. Miracles everywhere. This light, what a miracle! I don't know where it's coming from, but I know where it came from. It came from the sun. All light is coming from the sun. All heat and energy is coming from the sun. The sun shines on trees. Trees absorb that energy of the sun. And when you ignite it, then you bring out the fire from the tree. After many years, if that tree goes underground, it becomes coal. After millions of years, the coal may become oil. But the power of the sun is still there. Oil and coal has not seen a, a, a ray of sun for maybe hundreds and thousands or millions of years, but the energy is still stored in it. And if you light it, it comes out. Incredible. The baby is crying there. We can be disturbed by that cry. Or we could think, what an incredible miracle, baby crying. <laughs> this little tiny thing, so much volume. <laughs> Disturbs a class of thousands of people. It's amazing. So when Krishna comes to earth, Krishna is the absolute truth, the cause of all causes. When he wants to do something, there's nothing he can't do. If he can create this entire cosmic manifestation with all its universes and all the, the sun planet, which is millions and millions of times bigger than the earth, and it's just shining. It's not that the sun planet has some... Um, some pipes coming from the Middle East <laughs> to keep it burning. For millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of years, it's the same size. It keeps burning and nobody's putting any fuel in it. And we just look at the sun and just, oh, it's getting in my eyes. Why don't we see what an incredible miracle? And if our planet gets a little too close, it's burnt. If it gets a little too far, it freezes and if all life ceases. And it's just going on. From millennium after millennium after millennium, the whole creation is inconceivable. So when Krishna's a little baby, and Yashodamai looks in his mouth and he doesn't want her to see to the dirt. He distracted her attention. All of a sudden, his Leela Shakti, his, his energy of pastimes, manifested by his will. And when she looked in his mouth, she saw 
all the oceans, all the mountains, all the planets. She saw the universe in Krishna's mouth. It's not that his mouth got bigger. It's only this big. And how big is the universe? But yet she saw, and it's not that it was one of these, what do they do on those computers where they make things, huh? No, or they make it really small and then you have to expand it. No, not that, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, sometimes I have to deal with these computers and somebody sends me something and it's like just a little zip, yeah. That's it. I never know how to unlock those zips. But it's not that, you know, there was a zip file of the universe in Krishna's mind. <laughs> he doesn't have to do that. It was the entire universe in a mouth this big. And she could see all the space between everything. She even saw herself looking in Krishna's mouth. And she became very uh, um, reverential. That I am in such illusion. Just to see the power of Maya. I'm in such illusion. I'm thinking that I'm the queen of Vrindavan and Nanda Maharaj. The king is my husband and Krishna is my son. And she was trying to... But even though she was, tr she was in such reverence about what was happening, the nature of her motherly affection, there was no inclination to think that Krishna was anything but her little son. She was thinking, people in Vrindavan say he's like Narayan because Gargamuni said he was like Narayan. This is what she's thinking. But who is this Gargamuni? What does he know? And what do all these people? They have so much gossip going on. Krishna knows who he is, and I know who he is. When Krishna's hungry, he cries, and he comes to me, and if I don't feed him my milk, then he's not pacified. When Krishna hears thunder, he comes to me afraid. And unless I embrace him and kiss him, he's shaking. Krishna's so naughty. He's the absolute truth. The absolute truth can't tell lies. He says, I don't steal butter. But he steals butter. So let them say he's Narayan or any other thing, but I know who he is. He's my son, that's all. And he knows who I am. I'm his mother, that's all. And we both know our love for each other. And that is the highest truth. That is Yashoda Mai's philosophical um, conclusion, Siddhanta. But still, she was thinking that Vishnu's Maya is making me think all these things and she was reverential. And then Krishna closes our mouth and smiled. 
and seeing the sweetness, the gentleness, the helplessness of that smile, her heart flooded with affection. And she simply embraced him. And she forgot all about. She forgot all about the universe she saw in her mouth. And Krishna was successful. He accomplished his purpose. Because she even forgot about the complaint that he ate dirt. So Krishna, the absolute truth in this little beautiful sweet form, his eternal form, is walking around Vrindavan. He's now seven years old at the time of this narration. And he asks Nanda Maharaj, what is all this puja going on? Why all this um, ingredients and all this cooking and all this food and so much effort? What are you doing? And just because I'm a little boy, it doesn't mean you shouldn't tell me. Because among family members, there should be no secrets. Nanda Maharaj said that Indra is the deva who is the head of the department of rain. He goes by different names in different cultures throughout history of the world. And because we are farmers... Vaishyas, we make our living by growing crops and taking care of cows and bulls. So we require rain. Sometimes in the cities, we don't like when it rains because it's inconvenient. We have to go through the austerity of turning on windshield wipers on our cars to go like that. But if you're a farmer, you celebrate when there's rain. It's amazing how things are so subjective in this world. As they say, one man's food is another man's poison. In my own life, as a little child, I was always kind of observing situations. And my father, he went through total bankruptcy. And somehow or other, he just had this spirit of hope. And he was selling cars. And then ultimately, you know, he just kept going out of, he kept going bankrupt three times. So then he started fixing cars. And then he was quite successful. So Chicago, where we grew up, that area, in the winter there's so much snow and so much ice. And in the summer, sometimes big storms. And nobody liked the storms, except my father. <laughs> he would be so happy if there was massive snow and massive ice he would wake up in the morning and look out the window and all of us were going, ah, and he would go, ah. <laughs> Why are you so happy? He said, because all this ice and all this snow and all this, people are going to crash their cars. <laughs> so the people who crash are miserable, but my father is very happy. He doesn't want to see anyone get hurt except the car. 
just keep hurting your cars, crashing them. Put on your safety belt, but crash your cars. <laughs> this is life. So everything is very subjective. Why did I tell that story? So subjective, no one said the same thing. It's true. Nobody sees the same thing. Nobody hears the same thing, because it's all being filtered through our experiences, our senses, and everything else. Yes, somebody's listening to my words thinking, how long is he going to carry on? <laughs> Somebody else may have a more positive experience, I don't know. So Krishna, he was telling Nanda Maharaj, just, just tell me everything. And Nanda Maharaj was saying that we need the rain. That's how we survive. So it has been the tradition of our forefathers that we offer our respect and our gratitude to Indra every year so that he'll keep giving us rain. And not only for that reason, but because we're really grateful to him for doing it. Krishna said, little seven-year-old Krishna, he became very philosophical. He said, actually, we don't have to worry about this Indra. Because within this material universal creation, everything is happening according to the laws of karma, karma mimamsa. If we do good, we're going to get good. If we do bad, we're going to get bad. And the devas, whoever they are, Indra or anyone else, all they can do is be instruments to deliver our karma. But it's on the basis of the choices we make and the actions that we take that's going to create that karma. So if we do good, Indra's going to have to give rain. You see this mountain, Govardhan, this beautiful Giriraj, the king of mountains, is giving so much water and so much green grass for our cows. We should worship Govardhan Hill. And we should worship the cows. And we should worship the Brahmins because the Brahmins are teaching us all these virtuous ways of living. Krishna was really a true spiritual environmentalist. If we take care of nature nicely, with gratitude and love, the nature reciprocates. Now, Nanda Maharaj and the Brijabhasis, for them, it really wasn't about Indra, it wasn't about Govardhan, it, wasn't a, it was just about pleasing Krishna. 
He spoke so sweetly that Nanda Maharaj said, All right, after we do Indra Puja, we will do Govardhan Puja. But Krishna, he can fulfill so many purposes with the same time. He understood that Indra was his devotee. But Indra was proud. Although he had a very powerful position on behalf of God, it got to his ego. The prestige, the fringe benefits, the honor, the opulence, false pride destroys devotion. It's the greatest impediment to devotion is the ego, selfishness. Even such a devotee as Indra was trapped by circumstances into thinking, I am the proprietor of what I own. I am the controller of so many necessities within this world. And I am the enjoyer. Out of love, compassion, and mercy for Indra, Krishna knew what it took. What it took to cure him of this disease of the ego. Even in this world, sometimes doctors, in order to cure you, they don't give you things you like. But it works. Krishna did not give Indra what he wanted. He gave him what he needed. So Krishna said to Nanda Maharaj, just don't waste our time with this Indra. And just listening. This talkative little seven-year-old child. He said, let's take everything that was meant for Indra and give it to Govardhan Hill, the cows and the Brahmins. So Nanda Maharaj said, all right, tell me how to do it. And Krishna gave the whole instructions. He said, let's make mountains and mountains and mountains of food and ponds of, 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 of liquid foods, boga, and we'll offer it all to Govardhan. And then we'll have yajyas and we'll have kirtans and we'll have music and we'll celebrate and then we will circumambulate Govardhan Hill to honor him. Oh, to please Krishna, Samsidhya, Haditoshanam, all the Brijabhasis were so excited. This was incredible. They made so many mountains of rice and so many mountains of rotis and so many mountains of samosas and they made so many mountains of, of malpuras and, and, and burfis and, and Prabhupada says rasgulas. <laughs> and they made so many lakes 
of kheer, lakes of condensed milk, and subjis, mountains of subjis. It was incredible. It actually took miles. There were miles of, of food. And then, oh, and, and there was so much chanting going on, and, and the people playing musical instruments, and the Brahmins were ecstatically chanting different mantras and hymns, incantations. It was blissful. And Krishna stood with all the gopas and the gopis. And then Krishna did something that was incredible. His little seven-year-old form stayed where it was, and he expanded himself into an enormous form on top of Govardhan Hill. And Krishna said to Nanda Maharaj and all the gopas and gopis, just see, Govardhan has manifested himself as a person to us because we've pleased him so nicely. Look! He's become a person and he's going to accept our offerings. Then Krishna bowed down to himself as Govardhan Hill and all the gopas and gopis bowed down with him. And then they made the offering. And Govardhan Hill, in front of everyone's eyes, you can see it through your ears if you listen nicely. True gigantic arms manifested from that form on top of Govardhan Hill. And he just took all the mountains and his mouth was Krishna's Giriraj mouth. He ate everything. He drank all the lakes. He ate all the food. There was nothing there. And then he cried out. He roared. Anior. He did it very loudly. I guess that's all I can expect. Anior means more. Give me more. They didn't have anything else. <laughs> Everything in the entire village was offered to him. But Krishna understood what he wanted. And he had someone offer a tulsi leaf. And Govardhan was satisfied. And then just as he ate it all, he manifested exactly the same mountains and, and kuns and lakes of Boga as Mahaprasad, Giriraj Mahaprasad. And Krishna arranged, everyone should eat. Feed everyone. The cows, the dogs, the deers, the insects, all categories of humans, feed everyone. And there was a big feast and they all decorated themselves very beautifully and there was music being played and wonderful kirtan and they all circumambulated Govardhan Hill together. 
because Krishna revealed himself on that day that he is Govardhan Hill. It is his own manifestation. In the Garaga Samhita, it describes in the spiritual world of Goloka Vrindavan, Srimati Radharani was with Krishna in a secluded place. And she said, my beloved, please create the supreme most wonderful place for us to enjoy our pastimes. And Krishna, he searched into the very core of his heart with his consciousness. And from his heart came a brilliant effulgent seed. And that seed came from his heart into the air and then onto the sacred Chintamani ground of Brindavan. Instantly it began to grow and grow and grow into the most beautiful mountain with caves and rivers and lakes and trees, the most pleasant. In Goloka Vrindavan, it is Radha Krishna's favorite place to perform their leelas. And Krishna Balaram, the gopas, it is a favorite place for them to perform their pastimes. And when Krishna told Sri Radharani, I am going to descend to this earth, once in a day of Brahma, in my original form of Krishna, I descend to the world to attract people to my transcendental love. And Srimati Radharani said, I must come with you. He says, of course, you must come with me. But Srimati Radharani said, but I will not be happy there without the forest of Vrindavan, the river Yamuna, and the Govardhan Hill. Krishna said, I have already understood your desire. They are already there, waiting for us. This is Govardhan Hill. The Acharyas tell us, and the Srimad Bhagavatam, it's actually coming from the mouth of Sri Radharani herself, that Govardhan Hill is unique. He is the Supreme Lord Krishna, non-different, and he's also in the role of Haridas Varya, the greatest devotee. And the gopis are explaining why is he the greatest devotee? Because he knows what pleases Krishna. He gives grass to the cows, he gives nice places for the little for, for Krishna's devotees to drink water, and the water is like nectar. And the caves are very cool. In the winter, the rocks are warm. In the summer, they're cool. She has mastered, Govardhan has mastered the art of pleasing Krishna by giving service and pleasure to all Krishna's devotees.
as they were circumambulating doing parikrama of Sri Giriraj, they were so happy. There was nothing but ecstasy. Everyone was just looking at Krishna smiling and that was their bliss. There was only one person that wasn't happy. Who is that person? Indra. He could not believe that what he was expecting, you see, this is the nature of the human ego. We become so filled with anxieties when we have expectations. Because the nature of this world, you don't always get what you expect. If we expect good weather and it's bad weather, very disturbing. If we expect respect from our husband, our wife, our friends, our godbrothers, our godsisters from the world, we're not always going to get it. And the more we expect, more we suffer when we don't get, and we're not going to get. And the more we get, the more we expect. And when we don't get, the more we suffer. This is human psychology. Renunciation, detachment, means to be self-satisfied. Doesn't matter. We don't need anything. But when we don't, when we're not self-satisfied, ananda mayobhyashat, the soul which is ananda, which is full of bliss, is trying to find it somewhere. If we're not finding it in ourselves, if we're not finding it in, in our love for Krishna, in our compassion for all beings, we're going to expect it somewhere. And as we say, Indra was getting it and getting it and getting it every year, and he's getting it from places all over the universe. The ego is such a thing that even if you have so much, one thing goes wrong, and that's what you focus on. It's not that Nanda Maharaj is the only person in the universe doing Indra Puja. In those days, everyone was doing it. It was doing millions of places they were doing Indra Puja. It's like we sometimes give the example of this body. Because we can understand life from examples. You can be in perfect health. And everybody's nice to you. And your business is doing really well. And you got very good grades in your school. And everything's just so good. I've accomplished so much. And we're going to the temple to thank Krishna for all the goodness he's given us. And we step on a thorn. Now, how much space in the body does the thorn take up? Yes? About like this, yes? You know, hardly a millimeter in diameter is the amount of space that the thorn consumes. So 99.99999% of your body is fine. But that one little pinpoint doesn't even make any noise when it goes into your foot. 
Just like. And what do you think about? When there's that thorn in your foot, do you think that my ear is so peaceful <laughs> and my eyebrow is feeling so happy <laughs> and my heart is nice and my liver is working well? All you think about is, ah, the thorn! Your entire consciousness is consumed by that one little pinpoint of the thorn. So that was Indra. One little place, little village of Vrindavan. They didn't do a puja. And Indra was outraged because he was expecting it. And because of his false ego, he couldn't tolerate. For one who was respected, dishonor is worse than death. That's what the Gita tells. He wasn't thinking, well, you know, there's so many other people who are doing their puja, you know, one less, it's not a problem. His whole intelligence was consumed with getting revenge. It was like his reputation is at stake. If they get away with it, then other people may think that they can get away with it too. I have to set an example. Just see, he was so illusioned by his false ego, he was so intoxicated and infatuated by his anger that he forgot that Krishna is the God that gives him all his powers. Because he called the Samvartaka clouds. They are not the clouds, they are not the insignificant little monsoon clouds that flood Mayapur during the rainy season. The Samvartaka clouds are the clouds of the pralaya, the planetary dissolutions. They are massive clouds. And Indra said, go and destroy all of Brajbhumi Vrindavan. They have chosen to listen to that talkative little seven-year-old boy instead of honoring me. I will show them. Destroy everything. And meanwhile, all the Brijabhasis are happy and they all go to their homes after this wonderful festival. And suddenly, the clouds form. And there is pitch darkness. These clouds are so thin and so full of inconceivable quantities of water that the sun, not even a ray, could penetrate them. But because Krishna was in Vrindavan, he was lighting up the whole place. And suddenly, thunder. <laughs> Lightning. And everyone's, what's happening? And it began with a few drops, and within seconds, there was not drops, 
rivers coming down from the sky. Can you imagine? It was like the clouds were a dam and the dam was open and that's how the water was falling. The scriptures tell it was like an ancient banyan tree and you know the different trunks of the banyan tree? That's how it was coming down. In columns. Everything was filling with water. There was freezing cold and high hurricane-like winds. And in the pasture grounds, the cows, their only concern were their, for their little children, the calves. And the mother cows, they have that hanging flesh under their necks, traditional cows in India. They were using those to cover their little calves. Seeing how the calves were crying in the cold, in the rain, trembling. The mothers were crying helplessly. And all the Brijabhasis, they were in a helpless condition. What could they do? Krishna's just their child, their friend, their lover. But in times of desperation, they understand only he could save us. And even though they know that he only he could save us, still it doesn't interfere with the intimacy of their relationship with him. This is Vrindavan. Krishna, Krishna, Mahabaho. The Brijabhasis came with the little cows and the calves in the front, and they said, Krishna, please protect us. We listen to you and just see how angry Indra is. He's destroying us. Krishna smiled. He said, why should we worry about this little Indra? We pleased Gidiraj Govardhan Hill. So he will protect us. What does that mean? Then Krishna effortlessly, he went to Govardhan Hill and lifted it up. Just like a child would lift up a mushroom from the ground. Effortlessly, he lifted Govardhan Hill and with one hand raised, he balanced this enormous mountain, Giriraj, the king of mountains with peaks, on the tip of the little finger of his left hand. Now how do you balance a mountain like that? Krishna can balance all the planets and all the universes. For him this is just play. And then with a very sweet voice, he told all the Brijabhasis, now just see, because we have given this nice puja, this worship to Giriraj, he's so happy, he's become an umbrella. Let us have a wonderful festival under Govardhan Hill. And just see around how Giriraj, he has made such a beautiful, enjoyable environment. There's there's crops growing. When Krishna lifted Govardhan Hill, the sound of Govardhan Hill 
coming out from the ground into the air was enormous. It, it shook the world. And as Giriraj is Krishna himself, as he was being lifted, earth came all around to make like a border wall around him so that any water that was coming off the umbrella would not go inside. Very expert. He said, bring all your valuables and all your loved ones and come, let us enjoy. So everyone came under Govardhan Hill. How beautiful. How wonderful. Gididhari, the form of Krishna is the lifter of Govardhan Hill. He had three bends in his body, his neck, his hip, his knees. He was holding Govardhan Hill. And all of the gopas and gopis, everyone was thinking that Krishna is only looking at me. And not only were they thinking it, but Krishna was only looking at each and every one of them. Now they were in a circle around Krishna. It's not that Krishna manifested thousands of heads to look at everyone with millions of eyes. It's not that he was turning around like this. You know, a little person like me, I can look at a couple people at a time. But if I'm looking this way, I can't look that way. And if I look that way, I can't look that way. And I want to look at everyone, but I, I'm like this. But Krishna's Rasa Bihari. That means he is unlimited in how he can give pleasure to his devotees. So each Krishna was personally smiling so sweetly at everyone. And each of the glances and each of the smiles that he was giving toward everyone at the same time, it wasn't that people were waiting in queue for a glance. <laughs> the glance never ended. And each one was unique unique according to that particular person's relationship with Krishna. You know, sometimes you go to those crazy places where they have all the mirrors and you see, you know, but they're all the same. But Krishna is reciprocating in the core of the heart with each and every unique devotee through his glance, through his smile, through his expressions, there's communication with them. Every calf, every cow, every bull, every deer, every Brahmin, Chachya, Vaishya, everyone. And they're just thinking, Krishna's only with me. It was an experience of joy they never had because Krishna's constantly just looking at me. The younger gopis, they were gazing at Krishna. Krishna was gazing at them. 
and in their eyes. Krishna was entering through his glance. Through his glance, he was entering into their glance. Through his smile, he entered into the core of their heart and he was embracing, embracing them so intimately and they were embracing him. And to all the gopas, through his glance, through his smiles, through his expressions, through their eyes, he was entering into their hearts and joking with them and playing with them just according to their desires. And to the parents of Krishna, all the elderly gopas and gopis, he was intimately, personally experiencing and giving them the experience of their love. Yashoda Mai, seeing Krishna in this situation, the nature of love, it's not always how to say it. Sometimes the ecstasy of love is in pain. But when it's spiritual love, that pain is ecstasy. When pain is due to frustrated ego or frustrated selfish desires, pain is pain. But when pain is born of, of unselfish compassion with the spirit of service and love, that pain is ananda. Pain ananda. <laughs> so Yashodamai, everybody is so happy seeing Krishna and Yashodamai is thinking, ah, my beloved little boy, look, he's just so small and his finger is so soft and he's lifting this gigantic hill. Krishna, I see, I see perspiration on your head. What am I going to do? And one of Krishna's friends, Madhu Mangal, he said, Yashodamai, what are you saying? This is blissful. Yashodamai said, Krishna, why are you so mischievous? Why are you so restless? Why did you interrupt Indra's puja? Don't you know the devas are very powerful? We can't just meddle with their, their lives. Now see what you have done. The wrath of Indra is upon us. And Madhu Mangal said, That's good, that's good. If it wasn't for the wrath of Indra, we wouldn't be having this beautiful darshan of Krishna as Giddy Dari smiling upon us, seeing him in his beautiful form. She said, what do you think this beautiful, blissful form, you think it's blissful for Krishna to be standing holding this mountain up all by himself? Madhu Mangal said, Krishna's not holding it up. I am investing my Brahman Tejas and <laughs> empowering him to hold it up. And besides that, 
This is wonderful. And then Krishna said, my dear mother, please don't worry about me. Because we please Govardhan so nicely by our puja, Govardhan is just floating in the air by his own sweet will. And I'm just the instrument standing with my finger like this. And Yashoda Mai said, then why are you perspiring? If that's true, then tell Govardhan to just start flying around so I can see that he's not on your finger. <laughs> and then Yashoda Mai, with tears of love for her child, she started praying to Giriraj Govardhan, oh Govardhan, if we have pleased you, if, 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 I'm, if I'm a good devotee, please grant me one wish. As Krishna's holding you up, be very soft on his finger and be very light so that he experiences no pain. This was the rasas, the loving relationships that Krishna was sharing. Meanwhile, on top of the hill, there was lightning bolts crashing down. There was massive, massive deluge of rain pouring. And Govardhan was completely happy. It was like an api shake. It is described that on top of the hill there was a big dark clouds with rainbows and lightning and rain. And under the hill, Krishna's complexion, Shamsundar, Ganasham, was like a big dark cloud. And his peacock feather was like a rainbow. And his glances on all his devotees and his beautiful clothes were like lightning. And the exchanges of love between Krishna and all the Brijabhasis was like a downpour of praying. So there were two storms going on. Meanwhile, Yashoda Mai was so worried that Krishna, you haven't eaten. And Krishna, while he was holding the flute with his left hand, little finger, just to intensify the happiness of all the devotees, from his belt, he slipped out his flute and started playing beautiful songs with one hand. Oh, so, so charming. So charming. Let me tell you something about this belt. When Krishna wants to humble his devotee, he does it with precision, um, mercy. We see Kaliya, and other asuras, before Krishna would fight with them, he would always tighten his belt. Yes? You have read that? When it came to lifting Govardhan Hill to defeating Indra, Krishna didn't even bother to tighten his belt. It was just 
Indra is too irrelevant to even waste time tightening my belt for. But he took his he took his flute and he was playing so sweet songs. Oh, everyone was so happy. Wouldn't you love to have been under that hill? Seven days and seven nights of Krishna gazing upon you and playing his flute and reciprocating every intimate love exchange with you. And as he was playing Madhu Mangal, he became very worried. He said, Krishna, stop playing your flute. I, it, it's giving us the ultimate happiness. But we have seen what happens when you play your flute. We have seen how the rivers become solid and solid things melt in ecstasy. So if Giriraj Govardhan, in his ecstasy, if you're playing the flute, he may fall from your hand. And then we'll all be crushed. And somebody else said, uh, but what if he melts? <laughs> if, if Giriraj melts in ecstasy, then we'll all be drowned. And somebody else said, but Giriraj is a very great personality. When great personalities, even when they are in the ecstatic trance, they somehow or other compose themselves for the welfare of others. <laughs> and in this way, Krishna, for seven days and seven nights, he was playing upon his flute, exchanging with his devotees while carrying over Dunhill. Our Acharyas tell us at one point, Srimati Radharani, she cast this glance upon Krishna that totally overpowered him. And his limbs began to tremble by her love and the mountain started to wobble. So the elder gopas, they were thinking Krishna's tired. And they got their sticks, their cowherd sticks, and they stuck it under the hill. And they were holding. <laughs> and Madhu Mangal said, what are you wasting your time? You can't hold. <laughs> My friend Krishna is the younger brother of Balaram. He doesn't need your sticks. You're just scratching the bottom of Govardhan Hill. And Krishna said to him, why are, you, why are you discouraging this? Out of fatherly love for me, they're trying to help me. Give them encouragement. And Yashoda Mai was saying to Krishna that Subal, I have given him some nice, uh, nice food to eat. He has it in his hand. Take your flute away from your mouth so he can put it in your mouth. And Madhu Mangal said, Very good idea. We should all have prasad now. <laughs> so the loving exchanges. And everyone, the Brahmins were reciprocating with Krishna by giving him blessings. And Krishna was receiving the blessings. The parents were worrying and worrying and worrying and Krishna was accepting their worries and increasing their worries.
the gopas were joking with Krishna and dancing for Krishna and Krishna was joking with them and, and dancing in, in their hearts with them. And the gopis, they were embracing heart to heart in the deepest, most confidential love of the soul. And on top of the hill, Indra came to see what was happening. He saw nothing was happening. <laughs> Everyone was blissful under Govardhan Hill. Indra said to the Samvartaka clouds, and he got all the, the big storms and winds, and he himself on his elephant, there were the strongest hurricanes, tornadoes, cyclones, lightning. It was unbelievable. But in seven days and seven nights, this is how thorough Krishna is to humble his devotee. Indra could not remove a single leaf from all the hundreds and thousands of trees at Govardhan Hill. Indra could not lift the Samvataka clouds with all their winds. They couldn't even lift a single grain of dust from Govardhan Hill. And all the deers and animals on top of Govardhan Hill, they were all smiling couldn't even put them in anxiety. They were just looking up at these storms like, thank you for the refreshing shower. Not even a blade of grass could be moved. What to speak of pushing Govardhan off Krishna's fingertip. And when he saw this, he was even more tormented with anger. And he was putting all the power of his life into getting revenge. But ultimately the Samvartaka clouds were so exhausted, they fell at the feet of Indra and said, we give up, we're finished. Indra realized Krishna is the supreme personality of God. Whatever strength, whatever power I have is from him. What have I done? He became very sober and he left. The storms were done. The sky was clear. The sun shining. It was a beautiful day. And Krishna smiled and said, Oh, we have spent these seven days and seven nights together. Now, all of you, go back to your homes. Let us enjoy. No one wanted to go. But it was Krishna's will. So they left, and the cowherd boys were taking the cows, and they all went out from under Govardhan Hill, but when all the cows 
saw that Krishna was still there standing, they all ran back. Because they didn't want to give up Krishna's darshan. And Krishna, with his glance, each and every individual cow, he herded them out with his eyes. And then as simple as a child puts a flower on the ground, he dropped Govardhan Hill on the ground very carefully, just as it was before. And then he went to walk around Govardhan Hill to see how things were. Meanwhile, after this happened, the cowherd boy, the cowherd men, the elder gopas, they approached Nanda Maharaj and they said, Nanda Maharaj, how, how did that happen? Who is Krishna? We have seen him do too many things. Today he lifted Govardhan Hill for seven days with his little finger. When he was just a baby of hardly a couple days old, Putina, with his lips, his lips are as soft and sweet as the banduli flower, and yet he sucked out the life of this max of Rakshashi and Shakatashura, this ghostly being in the form of a cart. Krishna, whose feet are softer than the softest petal of a lotus flower, caused the whole car to crash. And Krishna, who's so light when he was only one years old, we would all pick him up and play with him and throw him in the air and catch him and throw him in the air and catch him. But when Trinavarta took him into the sky, he became as heavy as the universe and crashed down. And Batsasura, Bakasura, Agasura. Who is this Krishna? How does he do this? And Nanda Maharaj said, actually, when Gargamuni came, he told me during the name-giving ceremony that your son is as equal to Narayan. He will perform all these incredible pastimes. He has appeared in this world in many forms and many colors with many identities throughout the ages and now he has appeared as your own son. But still, he's Krishna and we just love him as Krishna. So they were all satisfied. Meanwhile, Indra, he went to Lord Brahma. First he went to Brihaspati, his guru. I just tried to destroy Krishna, his family, his devotees, and his abode of Vrindavan. What a fool I am! What am I going to do? Brihaspati said, you should go to see Brahma. He went to Brahma and Brahma Loka. And Brahma said, I can't help you. 
I did the same thing. I stole all Krishna's calves and all his coward boys for one year because I was deluded. I can't show my face before Krishna for this. You should go to Surabi, the mother of the cows. Now here is the king of heaven. So full of power, regal opulence, and he's coming before a simple mother and pleading for her help. You see, this is the lesson we all require to understand. When we have separated ourselves from the grace of the Lord, due to our own misgivings and our own egoistic ways and choices, we cannot approach the Lord directly. We must approach through those who love the Lord. And through the grace of those who love the Lord, then we can actually approach the Lord directly. Krishna is not concerned with our power, is not concerned with our position, is not concerned with our educational qualification, it's not concerned with our popularity. Krishna is attracted by the simplicity of the heart. Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, he told that the first basic foundation that bhakti has to be built on is simplicity. What does simplicity mean? It has many levels. On one level, simplicity means without duplicity without ulterior motives. To be humble and honest. That's a quality of simplicity. To be humble and honest means, Krishna, I'm you have given me my intelligence, you have given me my abilities, you've given me breath to live with, you've given me everything. I'm dependent on you, I'm yours. That's honesty. Another quality of simplicity without ulterior motives is to be happy with simple things. Srila Prabhupada explained the quality of a true devotee is whether we're living in a palace or living under a tree, we're happy just chanting Hare Krishna. We could use enormous amounts of technology and complicated scientific just, um, items in Krishna's service but we don't need those things. 
what really makes a devotee happy? Not things. Things like position. Things like prestige. Things like wealth and items. Certain things we require. But our happiness is in chanting Krishna's names, in serving Krishna, in taking a little prasad, in the association, in loving relationships. These simple things bring happiness. But life in this world, we become so distracted. Weapons of mass distraction are everywhere. We lose touch with the simple things that are actually the real wealth of life. Vrindavan is the land of simplicity. And we can only really connect with Vrindavan in our meditation, in our sadhana, in our service, when our hearts are pure and simple. One of my dear God sisters, Ladini Devi, who not long ago passed from this world. She was always absorbed in talking about Vrindavan. She was so simple. She was a pujari in America. And I remember, I believe it was the one and only time she ever went to Vrindavan, I took her there. And we were in going around to different places, and I remember we were on a mountain in Bharasana, Sri Radharani's home. And she was just seeing these Brijabhasis. They were just chanting, Radhe, 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 and they were carrying buckets of water on their heads, and they were just doing some simple plowing with some oxen, and, and they were just happy. And there was this broken down, old, hundreds of years old little house with a dirt floor. And that's where we were. That's where we were. And she started to cry. She cried incessantly. She said, "These people are just so simple." Now I'm beginning to understand. Really, what is Vrindavan? Simplicity. Srila Prabhupada maintained that same simplicity even when he was organizing and managing international societies and using technology and flying on airplanes. Simplicity is a state of heart. So what an incredible revelation this is. The mighty king of heaven is bowing his head and begging for the grace of a simple cow, a mother, because only she could help him approach Krishna. And Sarabhi was so forgiving. It was all her children Krishna was trying to destroy. 
But she saw the sincerity of his heart, so she said, Come, I will take you. And there was little Krishna just walking around, and Sarabhi approached him. And all oh, Krishna was so happy to see Sarabhi, and Sarabhi was so happy to see Krishna. A celebration of love. And Sarabhi said to Krishna, You are my Indra. But as far as this Indra, <laughs> he's really broken-hearted by what he's done. Please give him your mercy and forgive him. Because she asked for his forgiveness, Krishna was willing to forgive. We see the same principle with Kaliya. Kaliya, that gigantic, many-hooded snake, tried to... He was biting Krishna, he was trying to squeeze Krishna to death, he was trying to poison Krishna. And ultimately Krishna danced on his heads and totally humbled him. He lost all his powers. Very similar to Indra. And when he was surrendered, then the Nagapatnis, his simple wives, came before and prayed, Krishna, we love you. You love us. Please forgive him. Look at how his repentant he is. And Krishna gave Kaliya the highest perfection. According to the scripture, sometimes in Krishna's Leela, instead of riding on Garuda, he rides on Kaliya. because of the intervention of the simple-hearted wives, the Nagapatnis. So what is real wealth? The power of Indra or the simplicity of a cow? That is a great lesson we must learn. What was her simplicity? She simply loved Krishna without ulterior motives. She didn't want anything but to please Krishna. That is bhakti. And then Indra approached Krishna directly with the intervention of Surabi and off he bowed his head to this little boy and offered his prayers. And he really did learn his lesson. He praised Krishna. You are appearing in this little form of a cowherd boy, but you are the absolute truth, the cause of all causes, the source of everything that exists. You are the, you are the origin of all incarnations. You're the ultimate goal of life. You're the source of the undifferentiated, all-pervading, impersonal Brahman. You're the Lord within the heart of every living being. And you're acting like a little gopa just to attract our love. And you are so merciful to your devotee. You saw my arrogance. And just because of your love and kindness to me, you lifted Govardhan Hill, you stopped the puja of my Indra. Just to crush my ego so that I could come to my senses 
and be a real devotee. Indra saw perhaps the most painful anguish of his whole life and career. He saw it as a blessing. A blessing by which he could take shelter, Sharanagati of Krishna, with a pure and simple heart. The challenges that come before us, they are opportunities. When things are out of our control, we can start getting a sense that I'm not the controller. Isn't that good? It's only really good when we take shelter of the Supreme Controller. Not for him to do our will, but taking shelter means, Krishna, I am here to do your will. When Srila Prabhupada was on the Jaladuta after having several heart attacks, seasickness, approaching the United States of America after 38 days on a cargo ship crossing two oceans and three continents, and he was seeing Boston Harbor, which is, he didn't know a single person. He had no money. He had nothing. And he was going for the purpose of spreading a worldwide movement with no help and no means. The age of 70? He didn't pray, Krishna, give me this. Krishna, give me that. Give me health, give me money, give me followers, give me property. He was praying, Krishna, just give me the, let me speak your words, because your words can deliver them. Prabhupada did not see, I'm going to deliver. Speak through me so that you can deliver them and make me your puppet and make me dance as you want me to dance. This is a simple heart. This is Sharanagati. Krishna, what can I do for you? That was the realization of Indra. With torrents of tears pouring from his eyes, and he has quite a few eyes, actually, for whatever reasons is another subject. <laughs> Torrents of tears from his eyes. He was weeping in gratitude for Krishna's mercy upon him. And then Indra said, you are my Indra too. And he called all the devas, the primary devas and the, the devis to perform an abhishek, to recognize that this little cowherd boy Krishna is the lord of all the lords of the universe. Tumi Sarveshwareshwara Prajendra Nandana, the controller of all controllers, the lord of all lords who's playing and loving like a child.
And it was at this time that Indra gave Krishna the name Govinda. After Krishna blessed him, Indra went back to his abode, but he approached Sarabhi and said, Maya is very strong. Just see how I get so caught up in my particular service that I think I'm the doer and I think I'm the controller and I think I'm the enjoyer. We all have that experience. We learn a lesson, but then we fall into the same habit again. Ego. He said, in Kali Yuga, he told Sarabhi, Krishna's going to appear again. In Kali Yuga it's a, it has a lot of forces. What can I do to prevent making the same offense against Krishna again? And Sarabhi said, he will appear in Navadweep as Lord Goranga the most munificent, the most merciful of all incarnations. He will come to this world to spread love of God. Krishna takes the love of Sri Radha, Radha Krishna in one form. Lord Chaitanya is Krishna with the love and the complexion of Sri Radharani to share that love with the world through the chanting of God's names. We should go to Mayapur, the sacred of all sacred abodes, to meditate upon and chant the holy names of Lord Goranga. And Indra and Surabi, just across the Jalangi River, a few minutes from where we sit today, there was a banyan tree where they performed Nam Kirtan, meditated and prayed with all humility for Lord Chaitanya's mercy. And Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu appeared to them. Lord Goranga Mahaprabhu with his beautiful golden complexion and his long hair cascading around his moonlike face and on his shoulders with his arms raised, this long lotus-like eyes that practically reached his ears, shedding tears of love and compassion. Indra beheld this beautiful darshan, the ultimate perfection of his life. And Lord Chaitanya blessed him that when I appear in Navadweep, you will be one of my associates. Now just go on chanting the holy names and remembering me. And that place, Indra went back to his abode, but Sarabi remains there always. The name of the island is Godrumdweep. Go means cow, drum means tree. And it was that place where the simple Sarabi cow, that motherly feminine potency of the Lord, bestowed mercy upon Indra. That's the place at Surabi Kunj that Lord Nityananda Prabhu established 
is Namhata. To reach out to every type of category of people. Lord Nityananda Prabhu is the supreme powerful personality of Godhead, Lord Chaitanya's brother. And here in Navadweep, he would take straw between his teeth and go house to house, village to village, shop to shop, with folded hands and tears of compassion, begging people, please take the name of Krishna. Take the name of Goranga. Krishna's your mother. Krishna's your father. Krishna's your real wealth. Krishna's your life and soul. Chant Krishna's names. Remember Krishna, speak about Krishna, worship Krishna, and if you do so, you will be my life and soul. It was there at Surabi Kunj that he created this outreach. And if people didn't reciprocate, he would get on his hands and knees and beg them. If they still, even if they abused him with harsh language and threats, he would lie prostrate at their feet and beg them, just take the name of Krishna. Be happy. To the extent of Jagai and Madhai. Lord Chaitanya and Lord Nityananda taught us here in Navadweep. If we really want to access grace when we chant the holy names or in anything we do, Trinada Bisunichena, Taror Ibasihishnuna, Amanina Manadena Kirtaniya Sadahari. To aspire to acquire the humility of a blade of grass, the tolerance of a tree, the forgiveness and forbearance, and to be without false prestige. To find happiness in offering respect to others without the vicious need to get it for ourselves. Vicious in the sense it destroys the goodness of the heart. This is the story of Govardhan Hill. Isn't it incredible? Krishna defeated Indra in such a substantial way. But yet for the Brijabhasis under the hill, Krishna's happy to be defeated. In this month of Kartik, Yashodamai, after Krishna stole the butter, I'm not going to go into too many details because we're going to sing the Dhammadarastakam tonight. Krishna ran away from Yashoda and she ran after him. Krishna's faster than the speed of mind. Even the greatest yogis, the greatest mystics, the greatest jnanis cannot catch Krishna. But Yashodamai 
caught him. You showed him I bound him and captured him with the rope of her love as he cried begging for mercy. And the gopas, they wrestle with Krishna and they defeat him and Krishna has to carry them on their shoulders to show the whole world, I was defeated. And to the Braja gopis, Krishna tells that your love for me has conquered me forever. And I cannot repay you for your love for me even with all that I possess in an entire de- lifetime of Brahma. Krishna's conquered by every calf, every cow, every peacock, every bird, every devotee of Vrindavan. Krishna's conquered by the simplicity of love. But for Indra, he conquered him. This is bhakti. When Krishna thoroughly conquers our hearts and we offer our love to him, Krishna is conquered by that love. Trinada bisunichena. Humility conquers the all-powerful in the spirit of devotion. Govardhan Puja and the beautiful narration of this Leela is a perfect introduction to the spirit that we should acquire when we come on pilgrimage to Sri Mayapur Dham. It's not just something theoretical. It's something we should apply on a moment-to-moment basis in our prayers, in our chanting, and in our common dealings with each other and with the world. This is Mayapur. This is Mahaprabhu's grace. This is the Sankirtan movement. Let us be grateful. Raise our arms and loudly chant the holy name. Thank you very much.